Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. We have our uh, three-hour show on SiriusXM Patriot every morning. And we take one segment and then uh, an interview and just give that to you right here. So the opening segment we talked, we did a bunch of Congress stuff. Um, talked about the uh, Ukraine and border bills and Hunter Biden not showing up to his deposition. And we talked about the NDAA and the FISA court and what that is really all about and combining all these things together. There's a lot of that Congress stuff and how the Republicans are going to cave on pretty much all of it. Probably we'll see. So we did that. And then uh, the second segment is what we want to put here. And that is uh, we hopefully try to provide some clarity to this abortion situation in Texas with this woman, Kate Cox and looked at some of the words that the media is using, tried to give a little more context to it. And, and what I think, again, clarity is the name of the game here. And just to give the end of the story right away, you can't kill disabled kids. That's like the point of the whole thing. So let's play that segment for you right here. I'm not really looking for a debate. It's just a story. So let's get some clarity here. It is now illegal in the state of Texas to get an abortion with the exception of if it will save the life of the mother, which is extremely rare, if maybe even not a thing at all, but we'll go with extremely rare. Life of the mother, not health of the mother. Health of the mother is not an exception in Texas. This was a trick that the left pulled. They, they, they threw in their life and health of the mother, which could mean mental health. And that's all encompassing. So that for a long time has been an exception that negated the entire rule. So Texas got smart to that and said, no, 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 there's no health of the mother. There's no, because that's too, it's too arbitrary. It's life of the mother. That's the only exception we'll give. If the health of the mother is in, or life is in jeopardy after whatever, what's, what's viability these days? 20 months, 20 uh, weeks, 22 weeks, something like that. If the health of the mother is in some sort of jeopardy, then you deliver the baby. And you deliver the baby, and then you do the best you can to keep the baby alive outside the womb. So therefore, the pregnancy is over. And the baby is hopefully still alive and can be kept alive. But dismembering the baby inside the womb is never necessary if the baby is 22 weeks or whatever viability is these days. So life of the mother, that's it. So there's this woman, Kate Cox, I believe is her name. She has two kids. Uh, Her and her husband wanted more. So this is not a case of abortion as birth control. This is not that uh this baby it turns out uh they think has edwards syndrome it's a chromosomal disorder that can sometimes cause the baby to die before birth sometimes shortly after sometimes a year after sometimes 40 years later rick santorum's daughter has edwards syndrome i think she's 20. now you hear the media talk all the time about a fatal 
disorder. You hear that word fatal to give you the impression that it's, it's um, pointless to try. And to that I say life is fatal. Your life is fatal. You have a condition that is fatal right now. It's called life. You have no idea how long a life will last. You have no clue. You can't guess. And who's to say how many days is enough days in order to deserve to live? Think about that. Uh, we predict, because you know AI is going to come up with some algorithm machine to figure out how many days you have left to live, how many years, right? And we predict you will live 10 years. This, we predict this baby, we've done a chromosome test. We predict this baby will live for 10 years. That's not long enough. We're going to kill it. We predict that this baby will live for 30 years. Ugh, what a waste of resources. Think about that. We're going to raise this kid. We're going to spend all this time, all this money. We're gonna, the kid's going to go to school and then die right after that at 30? No. No good. Not worth the investment. Because 30, you're barely even producing any GDP for the economy at 30. So to put all that investment in and, and before the person reaches any sort of uh, life, no, 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 it's done. It, it killed the kid. It's not worth it. Not worth it. They're going to die when they're 30. So what is that? What, what is enough? How long is enough living in order to conclude that it's worth living? And who decides that? And you hear the media say that this condition is, quote, not compatible with life. That's what the media is saying about this. Okay. What other conditions are not compatible with life? Blindness, if the baby is born with no eyes, do we kill it? She's dead. Just kill it now. Uh, they do it. They, they do these hearing tests on the first day. The baby's born. What if the baby fails the hearing test? Better off killing it. The baby can't hear. What kind of life is that? It's not what we intended. I don't want to learn sign language. I didn't intend to learn sign. I don't want to deal with that. Better just kill it. We'll try again. Try again. No big deal. Try again. So that stuff doesn't that doesn't fly. I don't get that. This mom had two cesarean sections, her previous two births, and the doctor, we'll get to the doctor in a minute, says that she'll have to undergo a third C-section, and that's potentially dangerous. So the doctor decided that the best medical course of action is to have an abortion where it's a DNA abortion where they, they rip the baby apart. They pull, they pull pieces of the baby apart and pull them out uh, vaginally as opposed to C-section. You're like, well, that's, first of all, that's not the safest thing in the world for the mom either. Certainly not safe for the baby. And any C-section that might have to take place is a C-section that would have had to take place if the baby was healthy anyway. So that I don't even understand that one. That argument doesn't make sense either. And I've heard a lot of her, oh, but the doctor says. Her doctor says, her doctor says. You got to go, whatever her doctor says. I know nothing about this doctor. But I can tell you that doctors are often wrong. Often wrong. Doctors are humans. Doctors make misdiagnosis doctors remove the wrong leg sometimes sometimes they amputate the wrong right the second leading cause of death in america is medical error i'll say that again because it doesn't sound doesn't sound possible 
The second leading cause of death is medical error. Whenever you see a list of causes of death, that's not on the list. That's not in the top five, whatever, heart disease, cancer, lung disease. They don't put that on the list, but it's true. To say that, well, her doctor says, are you, like, have you ever heard of a second opinion? Like, why, why do we have second opinions at all? And we just went through COVID where many doctors told us that we had to stand six feet apart from each other. <laughs> and we have to wear masks everywhere. And uh, the kids will be fine. They're resilient. But that's crazy to me for people to say, oh, well, the doctor said. Well, Tony Fauci's a doctor. All right. So, like, are you kidding me with that argument? The doctor said. You can find a doctor to say anything. This doctor could be a radical pro life actor, pro abortion activist for all I know. I don't know. Or maybe, he's, maybe he means, his, means best and he's giving his best medical opinion. But there's other doctors who disagree. So, that means nothing to me. The bottom line is you can't kill your baby in Texas. That's the law in Texas. You can't kill your baby for any reason. Oh, but what if what if it has a chromosomal disease? No, you can't do that. Just over a year ago, a year and a month ago, our son was born. I'm not sure if I told this story. It's not nearly as dramatic as many of your stories. I don't even pretend for it to be. James was uh, our fourth and he came very quickly. Right, my wife before the birth is like, "Oh, I, I pray that it's a quick labor, as any woman would pray." And uh, James just popped out, and my wife was very happy about that. But God has His ways for reasons. The reason why the baby is squeezed in that way, outside of mom, over a period of time, is to squeeze all the fluids out of the baby's lungs so that when the baby comes out, the baby can take a nice big breath. And James came out so fast that the fluids weren't squeezed out of his lungs. So he couldn't breathe. He was drowning. So imagine if we lived in a society that was so pro-death. Let me worry around it. If we lived in a society that, that wasn't as pro-life as it is, or not only word like this, if we didn't live in a country that had a legacy of being pro-life and the nurse said, oh, this one can't breathe well. All right, let's just kill it. Well, oh no, we'll give it something. It, it won't feel any pain, but you know, it can't breathe. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Help it breathe. Ah. Uh, very expensive. Uh, it's my medical opinion. We should just kill it. And listen, mom, dad, this baby hasn't breathed for a while now. Probably has brain damage. I'm giving it a 90% chance of severe brain damage. And that's, that's not the life you want to live. It's not worth it. What do you want? A lifetime of suffering, raising a baby with a disability? No, 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 no. It just, we'll kill it. It's already dead, basically. Uh, and just try again. You'll try again, and then we'll have, you'll have a baby who's perfect. And life will be so much better. 
So really sorry about this, but you know, it's the way it goes. We don't live in that culture yet. So instead what happened was a team of nurses swarmed into the room. I don't even know where all these people came from because it was like two in the morning and they swooped him up and they hooked him up to a bunch of machines. And this hospital didn't have what they needed to keep baby James alive. So they called the children's hospital and what they called the Chet team. I didn't know this even existed. The children's hospital emergency transport team came and there are four people wearing flight suits because sometimes they, 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 they're on airplanes or helicopters and they came in and they, they took baby James, this tiny, precious, helpless little thing that couldn't breathe. He's trying with all of his desperate might and they put him in this portable incubator and they hooked him up to all these breathing tubes and who knows what, these very expensive machines, by the way, very, very expensive and people dedicated their lives to designing these machines and making these machines. It's companies that sell these machines and they put him in the ambulance and they just booked it down the 15 sirens blaring and they got to the children's hospital and there was a team of doctors waiting. They met him at the door. Said, hurry up. Let's go. We're ready for him. And they rush him into the NICU where there's another huge team of people waiting for him. And they do the, the, the pick line and they got stuff in the, in the spinal cord and the, he's totally paralyzed. He's like an hour old, completely paralyzed on 100% oxygen. And our baby boy is going to die. We get there and the nurse tells us what's going on and my wife just falls on the ground. She just gave birth. She falls on the ground like sobbing. And they said, don't worry. Don't, we're going we're gonna to keep fighting. We're doing everything we can. And we knew they were. We knew they were doing everything they could. And baby James just turned one last month. It's totally fine. But think if we lived in a society that... I should, let, me, let me word around. Thank God we live in a society that we still value life enough that nothing would stop all these people from dedicating their lives to saving babies. Money was never thought about. They weren't like, well, it's a lot of traffic to get. Like that was people dedicate their entire lives. Adults dedicate their entire young adulthood to studying to save babies' lives. And it would be so much easier to say, ah, it's a lot of work. A lot of work, too expensive, really inefficient, way better to kill it. We, we take for granted how pro-life of a country we are right now or I should say how pro-life of a country you used to be. And because we used to be a pro-life country, we created all these systems. We created these professions. We created these, these buildings, these institutions, these children's hospitals. And because we created them out of a pro-life culture, we still have them for now until the ghouls realize that they're very inefficient. Because if you walk down the hall of a children's hospital, it's full of sick kids. It's full of disabled kids. It's full of dying kids. It's full of kids with fatal conditions. It's full of kids with cancer with very low chances of surviving. It's all a huge waste of money, but no one ever gives up. No one there ever stops. No one there ever talks about money. You fight for kids' lives. You don't kill disabled kids. 
You don't kill disabled kids. I don't want to have a conversation now about the political expediency of this or what's best for the next election or whatever. You don't kill disabled kids. You start from that and you let the chips fall where they may. And what's happened to this woman in Texas, it's awful. It's awful. Not how she planned it at all. My, my wife and I were saying, this, this isn't how we planned it. This is what we were saying to This isn't what we wanted. We live in a culture where we will do anything to avoid pain and suffering and difficulty. It's our culture today. We, we crave comfort. This birth will be incredibly difficult. It'll be heart-wrenching. But it also has the potential to be the most profound experience of their entire lives. So I, I host the, um, the drive home show in San Diego still. And this, uh, yesterday and today we're doing, uh, we've done this every year for 20 years. We have a radiothon for Rady Children's Hospital and these families come in. These families come in with their kids and tell their, their children's hospital story and they're unbelievable. And yesterday we talked to uh, a mom whose son had a chromosomal disorder just like this. And they, they were in the hospital for 120 days and just countless surgeries. And they never give up. They don't stop. They, they, it doesn't matter. They're not like, oh, we should kill them. It's like, it's unbelievable that we, we we're even like talking about this. These little girls, this one little girl had three open heart surgeries before her first birthday. Kayla was her name. So there's a six-year-old with cancer, like 2% chance of living. And it doesn't matter. You fight. And we talked to one of the moms whose her son was, uh, they did CPR on her son for 10 minutes. Huge team of doctors, 20 people in the room, she said doing everything they could to, to bring her son back to life. For 10 minutes, they, they did CPR. And this woman said it was, it was the worst day of her life and it was the best day of her life. And there's a much bigger story to talk about. I want to go to Don and other calls here in a second. There's a much bigger story to talk about, we'll save it for another day, about embracing these difficult things in life. Parents all the time give birth to babies who die shortly after. It's absolutely heart-wrenching. But the babies are born and they're allowed to die naturally in the arms of their mother. Ali Beth Stuckey asked parents for examples of them giving birth to babies with fatal diagnoses and, and uh, people just sharing their stories. I'll just make you bawl. One woman said we were treated terribly by medical professionals. We had very little support. People couldn't understand why we were choosing to continue our pregnancy. But for us, there was no question. She was our daughter. No different than any of our other children. We would walk through fire to protect her. She didn't suffer. She was loved and cared for just like any other child would be. She lived an hour and 47 minutes before continuing on her journey home. And I can't wait to meet her there when my time here ends. I can't imagine it. I can't imagine stillbirth or anything like that. But there has to be a way to properly do this. And ripping the baby to pieces like that's not a, it's not a solution. That's not it's not it. 
This mom said, I don't want my baby to arrive in this world only to watch her suffer. For she's already arrived into this world. And there's a way to do palliative care. There's, there's ways to do it properly. But also suffering that we all go through can be a beautiful thing. It's not what we want. But maybe it's the thing we need. Back to Breitbart News Daily. We talked with uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn today, obviously Dr. Gorka, as we do every Thursday. But we want to play for you here our conversation with Emma Jo Morris. She is the person who broke the Hunter Biden laptop story, so no one knows more about it than her. Here she is. Lots to break down here. I want to go to Emma Jo Morris, the Breitbart News politics editor, humble scribe, and the reporter who broke the Hunter Biden laptop story. None of this would be happening if it weren't for Emma Jo Morris. Thanks a lot, Emma Jo. It's making a mess of everything. I know. I'm expecting chocolates from Hunter any day now. <laughs> has he ever mentioned you specifically? He has not. He's mentioned the New York Post, but he's never dropped names. Okay. Yeah, well, one day, one day you'll be fortunate enough. What do we? What do we need to make of this? And uh, I don't know where to start. What What do we make of him not going to the deposition? Well, I mean, it's like. It's kind of amazing to get a glimpse of Hunter. It's actually fascinating to get a glimpse of Hunter in action, you know, in, in real life. Mm. Um, like, if you watch that press conference yesterday, it was bizarre. It was like a, a baby. He was triggered and, and emotional and uh, whinging, you know, to, to bring up some Canadian lingo that I think <laughs> fits here. Like, it's like this whiny, obnoxious, um, obfuscating, refusing to take any responsibility whatsoever for his situation, for his predicament, for what we're talking about. Um, Just this petulant kind of refusal to participate. And while he's doing it, he's like trying to spin the story and he's crying. Like, is this a 50-year-old man? It was really bizarre. It was really strange. That was something that struck me about his attitude, his his demeanor. It's all very spoiled brat. Mm. Um, you know, he gets up there and he starts talking about how they came after me and my family and they're making fun of me for being a drug addict. And I understand, like, his lawyer is kind of doing that, uh, putting that in the press and whatever. We had seen some of that from Kevin Morris. Um, and we kind of got the sense that that was the play a couple of months ago, that they were going to try to hinge all of this on him just being a drug addict and like, and like mean Republicans. Mm-hmm. And he just lacked, had a lapse in judgment. <laughs> uh, but, but, but he really went with it. And not only did he go with it, but he, he did this weird thing where he, kind of owns a grain of truth and tries to frame it as totally legitimate. Like he's like, I am proud to have sat on the board of, of all these companies and done international business as if it's some sort of patriotic duty with kind of the way that he tried to deliver it. And then says very cleverly, my father was not financially involved in the business. Like what? That's, 
a departure from the official line that we had from the White House up until five seconds ago, which was, I have no involvement, and a big departure from what we heard during the campaign, which was, I don't even know about it. <laughs> um, so this is all very fascinating. He definitely needs to come to Congress to talk. Um, we'll see if he can break out of his delusion enough to get any you know, valuable information out of him, but... Uh, yeah, there's a lot of questions that I have from that. The, well, let's play this clip, and, and a, couple, a couple of things you talked about are in this clip. Six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House. First of all, I think it's very fascinating, just in life, a little sidebar here, how much kids sound like their parents when they talk. Like, like this, it's... Yeah, I know, right? Like, I sound just like my dad, my, I sound like my brother, all growing up before cell phones. It was, hey, can I talk to or hey David and it was like me who picked up the phone it was my, my dad like all like so like it's just like creepy yeah. to see another person that sounds just like Joe Biden but anyway back to this six yeah. years MAGA Republicans including members of the House committees who are in a closed door session session right now have impugned my character invaded my privacy attacked my wife my children I don't even know who his wife is have you ever do you even know what she looks like? If she yeah, walked in the room, I have no right idea now. what he's talking about. His wife is Melissa Cohen, and I've never heard her name come up once. Okay, I've I have all right, guilty. I have mentioned the fact that he's had sex with his dead brother's wife, but that's right. it. So his brother, his brother's wife, maybe. Yeah, that's it. That's the only wife, wife and him. Not his wife, naturally, but like I don't even know his wife. Attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They ridiculed my struggle with addiction. They belittled my recovery. And they have tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father, who has do devoted his entire public life to service. His dad's a hero. Uh, have you tried to dehumanize Hunter Biden, Emma Jo Morris? They dehumanized me? It's like amazing. Like, you can't believe that you're listening to like a 50 year old man. <laughs> Yeah, Winston Churchill, I don't think he ever, I'll have to go back to my Winston Churchill speeches. I don't think he ever said, they tried to dehumanize me. It's, it's really weird. It's really weird, Mike. I don't know. Yep. It's All right, weird. Here, here, here's I, the I felt like you're listening to a five-year-old. Yeah. Here's the clip where he talks. I don't know. Like, okay, sorry. No, sorry. Here's the clip where he like owns things in a weird way. The Chinese businessman is the one that, that took me back for a second. <laughs> State as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. Okay, so the artist is great too, but like, like, oh, so we're admitting to Chinese businessmen. I guess right. Now. Right. Just. But just your average Chinese businessman, <laughs> not the effing spy chief of China, as you call him in your in your voice memo on your laptop. <laughs> Weird. And Joe so Biden wasn't involved. Yeah, but you're right. But you're right. Just a little bit of a little bit of ownership, in a very passive way, is just enough to yeah. what? Yeah. Just by the way, like to narrate that for the audience. Um, what we know is that actually not only was Joe Biden involved with the quote unquote Chinese businessman, the one Chinese businessman he knows, of course, um, but uh, Hunter Biden was sitting with his father when he was trying to cudgel 
$5 million out of this Chinese businessman um, and threatening him that Joe Biden is sitting right next to him and that he better fork over the money. Yeah. Uh, so what what do we make of the my father was not financially involved? What, what, what are we supposed to do with that? It's like, it's really, I, I'm just a humble scribe, but that sounds a lot like something a lawyer wrote, and it sounds like a meaningless, like, what does that mean? It's meaningless. It's a meaningless, like, collection of words, financially involved. What does that mean? So he wasn't the accountant? <laughs> yeah. yeah so he yeah. wasn't, like, his name wasn't on the paychecks? Like, that's such a vague and meaningless term, and, and... I make what I make of it is it's an extremely specific way of of claiming that your father wasn't involved, meaning that he was obviously involved in other ways. So you chose this extremely specific term uh, to tell us that he wasn't involved in that. Definitely it. Definitely it. T- t- it's also convoluted. It's like I'm listening to myself and I'm like, I don't even make sense right now. <laughs> and I know that I don't make sense right now because he doesn't make sense. Of course. That's right. Uh, tell us about the moving of the goalposts. Like, where did this start and where are we now when it comes to, you know, he wasn't this, he wasn't this. What are you talking about, et cetera? Well, the White House is like, the White House is, well, okay. So the White House is a little more subtle. Um, where are we they okay let's let's go back rewind let's go back like three years the day before the laptop from hell broke the, the story then was he has never spoke joe biden has never spoken to hunter biden about his business and he is there's a complete wall and he's never even heard a word about it that was the story in 2020 that was the story while he was trying to ask you to vote for him to be president okay then the laptop from hell breaks. Then the story takes a long time to shift because that was Russian disinformation for a bit. So not like not informing anything. It's just Russian disinformation, pure lies. Stuck with that for a bit. Then when that became untenable, it turned into uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden um, is is loves his son and uh and it was like i don't even know like the thing is the stuff is so it's splitting hairs but they 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 basically moved on to say he wasn't involved he knew about it but he wasn't involved minor difference but but a change knew about it wasn't involved and now it's like my father isn't financially involved yeah okay so he was he he did know about it he was involved, just not financially involved, whatever that means, assuming that means he wasn't being directly paid. What, what is but your take on the directly, directly paid, actually, and that story is about to shift again because yep. the House has an informant document from the FBI saying that Joe Biden did receive $5 million from Burisma. Okay, so that's what, that's what I want to get to the money. That, that, how, what if, how do I live? How much money do we know has been moved from one to the other? Can it be proven? And I guess the other question is, is that the important thing? What is the important thing in this story that we that the Republicans are, would want to find? Or if it, are, if it were true that this were all very bad and corrupt, what 
piece of information would need to be found to prove it in a sufficient way? Well, I don't think you're going to get, I mean, apparently there's a $5 million bribe floating around. Um, so that would be good to find record of. Uh, that's disgusting and outrageous. But I don't think you're going to find like a check from uh, Patrick Ho, the ethnic spy chief of China to Joe Biden. I mean, they're not that dumb. They're, they're sloppy, but they're not that sloppy. Yeah. You know, so I don't think that you're going to find something like that. And I don't think that finding something like that is, the only, is what this hinges on in terms of being legitimate. That would be insane. That's an impossible standard. They're obviously, it's not that, it's not going to be that on the nose. So what, what they're looking for is, A, a pattern, and be a full picture. So let's start with the full. Like they, they need to illustrate what we already know, but they need to build that case in terms of the dynamic of A. Joe Biden's involvement in Hunter's selling of access. So Hunter obviously is taking money and telling people that in return for that money, they he is going to lobby for them you know, in other ways, like other than like not officially lobby, but, you know, talk to Joe Biden for them um, in terms of whatever their interests are and and potentially try to get policy and, you know, in their favor. That is corrupt, obviously. And then uh, and then the second thing is you need to find a pattern of, of how the dynamic works in terms of Hunter Biden taking care of Joe Biden or Hunter, Bi- Hunter Biden and Joe Biden enriching themselves in the family uh, in return for whatever this access is. So it's not going to be that Joe Biden was cut a check. That's not what we're looking for. And that would be an insane standard. It's, 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 we're trying to understand the nature of what is obviously corruption and figure out the extent of the damage of it. Uh, you, what what has these clients what have these clients received for yes. their money? Yes, that's right. That's right. Do you trust the Republicans to get to the bottom of this? Um, I think I think they can. What I don't trust them on is being able to do it in a way that effectively illustrates to the American people what they're talking about. That's right. Because this stuff is very slippery. As you can see from this from this press conference, this is a taste of what we're about to get. It's it's very slippery. It's very um, convoluted. It's filled with deflection and and nonsense, really. And it's it's has um, they have a million shell companies. They have money coming from every random weirdo that you've never heard of all across the world, and it's a very difficult narrative to convey um, in in a succinct way and in an impactful way. So what I'm worried about, like it seems like Comer has actually been pretty good at scrounging up documents and at, and at bringing out a few bombshells. Um, like, I mean, I still can't get over that $5 million bribe. It was bro- the story was broken like months ago, and I am still screaming about it. I cannot believe that it's not leading every newscast every day, even still today. Um, well, it's, okay, so, so it'll I, be, I the ask, challenge will be to really make sure that that lands for the American people with yes. what he finds. And I want to ask you about that check. But, but to, to finish that point, uh, the left is very good at branding and marketing. 
and they're very good at telling mm-hmm. stories. Uh, and they're, they're, the me- their media is very good at uh, an initial deflection of any attempt by a Republican to tell a story. So it's an, a very, like, very good at like, the, the initial swat of lie, boom. And then, so it's like, oh, all right. So now like, the story has to like, get its legs back under it and, and try again before it gets swatted down again. And it's got to keep going over and over and over. There's no free pass. Yeah, I mean, it helps when the media is uh, working for you. But yeah. Yeah. So what, so what is this $5 million check? I want to make sure everyone in our audience is, is fully aware of this part of the story. Because if we're out there telling people, we got Christmas uh, holiday season coming up, Emma Joe, we're going to be around the family table, dinner table. Blah, and, and people are going to be like, hey, there's a $5 million check. No one's going to have heard of that. So what is the story? Yeah, I know. Like, there is, so there's um, an FBI, there's an FBI report that says from a reliable informant that Joe Biden received $5 million in a bribe, and they use the word bribe, from Burisma. And evidently that was for what we know was a straight up pay-for-play that he bragged about at the Council of Foreign Relations, where he fired, or he didn't fire, but he got a prosecutor fired in Ukraine who was investigating Burisma um, and, and threatened a billion U.S. dollars in order to do it. He was paid $5 million for that service. Where'd the money go? Into his checking account or what? Or do we not know? So we don't know. Yeah, that's what they, these guys got to figure out, because yeah. that is like, I mean, ha- that's totally unacceptable, obviously, and illegal, obviously. Yeah. Um, all right. Final question on this. I want to pivot to something else. Um, what is your argument that this isn't about Hunter Biden? It's about Joe Biden. Right. Yeah. Um, Hunter Biden is is. Obviously, I mean, that, that, whatever that was yesterday, like, he's clearly sleazy, but I don't think that he's totally relevant to the extent that he's not in power. So, sleazy people are allowed to exist, I guess. But this is, Hunter Biden is just a conduit. Hunter Biden is a bad man. Like, he's just the one that signs on the dotted line. Um, And he's the face that gets, like, you know, pushed out. To, to actually conduct the business. He's clearly, I mean, if you thought, like, that's not even clever, or at least not as clever as it could have and should have and needed to have been, mm-hmm. um, given everything that we know. So this person is not some sort of international uh, businessman mastermind. He's uh, somebody who signs his name and who the check's made out to. Um, Hunter Biden, that's Hunter Biden's relevance. That's the extent of it. Um, this is really about trying to understand corruption and how Joe Biden is acting on behalf of these clients. What do you say to the argument that this is a distraction for the Republicans? It's not, it's not necessary. Maybe even it'll backfire, Emma Joe, and the Republicans should just let it go, focus on the issues with the election coming up and not, not spend so much time on this. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I'm not a political strategist. You know, I'm a, I'm a humble scribe. So I'm just interested in understanding corruption and understanding whether the president is um, making decisions that are not in 
the interests of the U.S. taxpayer and of the U.S. citizen. Um, and I think that that, if I were to be a political strategist for a second, I think that that manifests in every issue, because if this person is not acting in the best interest of the United States and his judgment in every single thing that he does, then all kinds of things go awry. For instance, and I'm not saying this is necessarily directly related, although I don't really see how it could be not related, when we had to tap into our oil reserves about a year ago, if everybody remembers that ancient history, some of those oil reserves went to China, was sold to China at that time when we were opening up our oil reserves because we didn't have enough oil flowing. So it, it, comes, it shows itself and it comes up in all kinds of areas of U.S. policy and of U.S. daily life. And we don't know how, when things are going badly, how much they're going badly because this person isn't thinking about trying to make the best of our situation, but actually owes favors to Patrick Ho or to Burisma or to Ukraine or whatever. Um, So I think that that message is important if we're trying to be, you know, politically savvy is to explain over and over again that corruption isn't just something that you look at for the sake of the fact that it's interesting. It's something that matters because it, it rears its ugly head in every single policy that impacts Americans every day. Yeah. Yeah. On, on the, um, politi- is it politically expedient or whatever? I, I don't have the best political instincts. Uh, I'm some, I don't, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the, and I love what your answer was like, I don't know. I'm not a political strategist and I'm not great at that either. Um, but so I, uh, I defer to the political instincts of Donald J. Trump, who I feel like has instincts that have never been wrong. And if he felt it was, if he felt it was worthy to remove the moniker of crooked Hillary Clinton and now call her beautiful Hillary. And yeah, beautiful, put that beautiful Hillary and put that crooked on Joe Biden. If he feels that that is a politically expedient thing and to, to, to the benefit of him and, and the Republican Party, uh, then I feel that that must be a good political move. But but beyond that, it's what is uh, true and good. And, and that's that's what the journalists should be about is the truth. And, and that's more important. Yeah, I'm, like, that's I'm what I think the, about. I don't think about like what are like what is this going to mean? Like is that's that's on my field. Yeah, no, and honestly, I true. really think that's a fake field. Which one? <laughs> Being a political strategist to know, like, like to to think that you like are the master of some sort of chessboard. I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like no, like you're that so that right. Like, oh, that's so right. That's so arrogant, even to think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a <laughs> let the chips fall where they may. Right. You just do the truth. Do yeah. the right thing. Fall where they exactly. may, and you just deal with that. Um, all right, I got to talk to you about exactly. the uh, college president testimony. We haven't had a chance to talk about it. And I just thought of you because you did that testimony thing. I hate these testimonies in general. Um, talk about like phoniness. But uh, alas, what, what do you make of it all? Um, well, I think that it was a fascinating look into what these like people are actually are. You know, I felt the same way when uh, Peter struck testified if you remember that was the the russia hoax coordinator um at the fbi but <laughs> the russia hoax clerk fbi um <laughs> when he testified to congress i remember being so shocked to see what what this 
creature actually looks and sounds like <laughs> when they open their his mouth. Yeah. And and um this is how I felt too with with this testimony where you see the presidents of these institutions that are like these venerated and almost like lord institutions um on the right and the left and and just in america in general and and then you see the absolute mediocrity mm. that is the representation and the face of it and you're like whoa this is really jarring to look at these people are idiots yeah. um and and that was how i felt and and in terms of what i think about after it it's like the pen thing was interesting, although I don't think it's as as great as it kind of felt when it was announced that that um, this McGill was stepping down, because there's ten other McGills on the bench behind her. Sure. You know, I don't think that the person who they're going to replace her with is going to be any better because these institutions are totally compromised. Yeah. They're totally compromised, and with Harvard, you're really seeing that. The left is saying, yes, that's right, we're totally compromised, and we're not giving you an inch. Um, that was like what I what I interpreted from this, you know, fallout from the fallout from this is is their defiance, um, mm. especially in the case of Harvard, which I think is really the head of the snake on this, yeah. um, or at least one of the one of the kind of top examples of this problem. Uh, they they got nailed on affirmative action. It's, it's, you guys remember um, yep. in the Supreme Court ruling a couple of months ago where they were basically told you're not allowed to be racist, and they were very upset about that. And and now I think that they are – this is kind of like a follow-up and a response to that in that they're saying we're not just handing you the keys to the institution of education, which we've spent the last 30 years um, absorbing and uh, – Sorry, but be mad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they took a billion dollar hit for this and they were like, we didn't even feel that. Yeah. And we are keeping this racist plagiarist as the president because she is um, interested in, in cultural Marxism. Yeah. Oh, so right. Emma Jo Morris, Breitbart News politics editor. Thanks, Emma Jo. Appreciate it as always. Thank you so much. Have a great day. American made I got American parts Thanks for listening to Breitbart News Daily on tomorrow's show, the great John Nolte at 8 o'clock, Alex Marlowe just after that at 8.30. At 7, looking forward to uh, Chris Talgo from the Heartland Institute. This is the group that did that poll with Rasmussen that 20% of people who did mail-in ballots broke the law. And, and more like it was 21 percent of people voted in a state they're no longer the resident of um can't do that so that's a big problem so we'll get more details on this survey and what that really means tomorrow at seven o'clock hope to see you there mike slater breitbart news daily spread the word